Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D in the house, and we got an exciting topic for you, something that everybody's talking about, semiconductors, semiconductor manufacturing. We're going to be addressing our remarks today to the manufacturers, revealing hidden yield costs. How do we get this industry going again? So I have a wonderful panel, but before I introduce them, let me give you some insights on our topic. I have how many? Four buzz quotes today. I'll make them brief. Here's a quote from markets.businessinsider.com. Listen up. Semiconductors, in case you've been hiding under a rock and you don't know what they are, are used in everything from iPhones to fighting jets and without them much of the technology that makes daily life possible wouldn't be able to exist that means everything we do every time you step into a car every time you send an email you're using semiconductors what's happening now some blame the global shortage of semiconductors on poor planning oh no supply chain complexities perhaps and a tradition of keeping the chip inventories low in key industries because of expense well that's interesting others argue that the chip shortage is more a function of the world's growing demand due to 5G developments. We've been hearing about this for several years. The expansion of online gaming and video streaming. Didn't know that was part of it. And the increasing complexity of modern automobiles. Oh my. So again, that's markets.businessinsider.com. I have another quote. A survey of more than 150 firms found semiconductor supplies had fallen from an average of 40 days worth in 2019 to just five days. I'm holding up my hand for five. I'm on Zoom and I can see my panelists so they can see me. Five days in late 2021, which was just a few months ago. Sales of devices soared during the pandemic, leaving the makers struggling to keep up with demand. The shortage has resulted in huge disruptions for major industries. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's from BBC.com of all places. Quote number three, the buzz. Even before the pandemic hit, there was tightening. The chip companies actually have to take a different view now of their supply entry, a strategic imperative in terms of how you plan your capacity, your relationships with your suppliers. That's from CNBC.com. And one more, automakers chip firms differ on how and when semiconductor shortages will abate. And there was a a debate among the major CEOs of the big automakers. So there, that's from Reuters.com. So yes, supply chain shortages of semiconductor chips have already impacted or will impact each of us in our daily lives. How many around the table, before I even introduce you, how many are aware of a shortage that's impacting you daily? Anybody? Dave, David, Kimmon, Jeff? Yeah, okay, so this is personal as well as professional. So how to improve this scenario? That's a big question on the table. Semiconductor manufacturers need better visibility of their actionable business and manufacturing data. It's just information until you can do something with it, right? They need to determine the true costs and the supplies of chips. That will lead to better accuracy of profit and loss data. We want them to make a profit so they'll stick around for companies in related markets. Better prioritization of wafer lots and somebody can, that's a substrate 
state of what a chip looks like and ultimately better service levels to customers. In electronics, I'll tell you, a wafer is a slice. It's a thin slice of semiconductor used for the fabrication of integrated circuits. Those of you want to be engineers, there you go. I want you to raise your hands and smile and wave when I call your name. We have SAP's Jeff Howell and Dave Dunn with us, and we have PDF Solutions, David Park and Kim and Michaels. And we're waving for our video. We're broadcasting live over the air on Voice America Business. I'm going to ask them for their take on the challenges and potential solutions on revealing hidden yield costs in semiconductor marketing. Bonnie D here in the house. So happy to be here. What a hot topic. Dave Dunn, you brought me the topic and Jeff Howell did as well. And I'm so glad you've invited two of your colleagues from PDF Solutions. So let's briefly go around the table, have each of you introduce yourself briefly. We'll start with David Park at PDF. And David, we want to know a little bit about what you do, a little bit about PDF. I'm not familiar with your company. So tell everybody what you do and what's your passion for our topic. David Park, welcome. Thanks, Bonnie. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for PDF Solutions. Uh, My background is engineering. I started actually off as a design engineer uh, for many years, was involved in the EDA industry, uh, companies like Synopsys and Cadence, and then made the transition about a decade ago into back-end manufacturing and tests was involved in a couple of companies in that space and now I'm at PDF Solutions, which has had uh, a 30-year track history in helping customers deal with yield and optimization in the, in the fab, as well as in uh, test operations and assembly and packaging. Um, PDF Solutions, as uh, mentioned, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary. Actually, Kim and might be actually better to talk about the company since he's one of the co-founders. Um, but we are a big data analytics company. Uh, we do cloud analytics for our customers, which are typically semiconductor companies, both Fabulous and IDM around the world, as long as helping OSATs and Fabs improve the efficiency of their operations, whether it be yield, yield learning, uh, quality and reliability of the devices that go into all the products that we use every day, whether from our smartphones, to are now quite smart cars, um, to all the uh, computers that we use to connect through things like Zoom. Thank you, I like that quite smart. And some people might say quite smart cars are almost smart cars, or I say two smart cars. I had to, <laughs> when I got my 2019, we'll leave the, it has a Z in it somewhere. Uh, I had to go and make adjustments so it wouldn't start jiggling back and forth when I got too close to it. Right, <laughs> right, Jeff Al, to a lane. I, I didn't want it to go, why you're changing lanes? How dare you? It's like, leave me alone. I know I've been driving enough years. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, David. Pleasure to meet you. Let's go to Jeff. Jeff, you have been summoned by me because I said, I saw you smiling. So, Jeff Howell, would you please introduce yourself to our global listening audience? Jeff, welcome. Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, my name's Jeff Howell, and I head the high-tech industry business unit at SAP. And basically what that means is our team is responsible for the high-tech menu uh, that we would offer our customers. And I'm responsible for making sure that we're offering solutions that help high-tech customers solve their problems. And <clears throat> for those who uh, may not be aware, SAP has been around for 50 years. Uh, in fact, this year is our 50th anniversary. We have hundreds of thousands of customers across multiple industries. And <clears throat> our customers use SAP to run their business. So everything from financial reporting, inventory tracking, production planning, sales order management, you name it. Um, We're the company that provides those business applications to help them run their business. Thank you very much. Jeff, what's your passion for this topic? 
Well, my passion actually started as my first job out of college, and I won't tell you what year it was, but- Oh, come on. <laughs> I started in 1990 uh, as a production planner in a semiconductor company. And my job was to figure out how many new wafers we needed to start in the fabs and, and all the other production planning, basically to align our supply with demand. And it was one of the most complex problems I think I've ever worked on in my career. And it still is with me today. And so I have a passion about seeing if we can come up with better solutions to solve this problem. And that's one of the Thank reasons you. why we partnered up with uh, PDF Solutions. Thank you very much. Nice to have you on. Jeff Howell. Kim and Michaels, you've been summoned as well. Mr. Park said you tell us a little more about the company, but we also want to know about you. Kim and who are you and why are you here? Welcome. Good morning. I am a co-founder and executive vice president of products and solutions at PDF Solutions. For 30 years, we've been helping break data out of silos and help people accelerate their time to volume in semiconductors. Uh, we've worked with you know fabulous foundries, integrated device manufacturers, OSATs, even system companies. So for us, it's a little bit what's old is new again. Uh, time to volume has become really critical since COVID and, and the challenges we've had. So exciting times for us. Very, very much. And what sparked you to, to co-found the company? What was going on for you at that time? Obviously, you had a vision that has come to be very valid over the years, and 30 years is a long time. Kim, and what was, what was going on? That's for sure. Well, we spun out of Carnegie Mellon, had a center of excellence in semiconductor manufacturing. And uh, our other co-founder, John Kabarian, our CEO and myself, working at Texas Instruments one summer, was looking at how they were not really leveraging simulation and the data had to make quick decisions to help them get to market. And it was John's idea. It's like, you know, there's a market for this research we're doing at, at Carnegie Mellon. We ought to try. And never worked for a bigger company than PDF. Every day, it's the biggest company I've worked for. And how did you name it PDF? I have to know, because we know a PDF is a is like a snapshot of a document that is platform agnostic, if I'm saying this right, where you can give it to anybody and they can read it with an Acrobat reader and they don't have to be, it doesn't matter if they're on an iOS, right, Jeff? It doesn't matter if they're on an Android, it doesn't matter where they are. Kim, and how did you pick PDF? What is, what is the significance? Good question. It has two meanings. One is is process design and fabrication. These are the areas that we work in. And the other is a statistical term, probability density function, uh, because we always took a statistical approach. Now, no one ever got it because when engineers make up marketing, this is what you get. But uh, exciting terms. Uh -oh. Ironically, uh -oh. our first office in California was former Adobe space. We had a lot of complications getting FedExes and things in the beginning. You're dropping a lot of names there. Wow, PDF and no when engineers do marketing. I love it. Well, it's certainly a catchy name because everybody knows what a dot .pdf format is if you want to convey information. So I, I had no idea what it was. Thank you so much, Kim. And Dave Dunn, you've been so patient. Let's round out the panel. Dave, introduce Speaking you. Speaking of engineers and marketing. There um, you go. Yes. You're up, Dave. Welcome. So David Dunn, thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Um, I am. Uh, uh, I am industry marketing lead for high tech and chemicals, which is an interesting combination. And uh, uh, that actually plays out pretty well together. Um, I've been with SAP or I've been in the chemical industry for 30 years and been with SAP uh, about uh, I started in 2007. And um, so I, I have 
working very closely with Jeff and started working with PDF. And uh, again, my background is, is, is chemicals, but it's, as, as we get through the program, it's interesting uh, the chemical side of, of, of the industry of the semiconductor industry. So. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Okay, Dave, thank you. And thanks for working with me on getting this set up. I like your your abstract. We worked on that together. So thank you. So if anybody is a new listener to this show, and I can't imagine they would be, I think we're in year six or seven. And shout out to Judy Kubis, who's been sponsoring this show for years, and Thomas Pohl, one of her colleagues at SAP as well. And uh, Dave Dunn is taking over a couple of the episodes, including this one today. So we're very happy to have you. Um, We, my format for this is not just a roundtable, Everybody speaks in two to three minute sound bites, but I've asked my guests to send me each one to send me a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to relate the quote to the topic in their own words. And so let's this is how we're going to back into the topic. So David Park has sent us a quote from Lord Eddard. Ned, N-E-D, Ned is the, uh, I want to say the nickname, Stark, played by Sean Bean, the House of Stark, Game of Thrones. I think everybody saw that coming. Winter is Coming is the series premiere of the HBO medieval fantasy TV series, Game of Thrones, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the episode centers on the Stark family and how Ned gets involved in the court politics after the king chooses him to replace his recently deceased chief administrator, Hand of the King. The episode only had 2.2 million viewers. Okay, there you go. So here Here's the quote. Winter is coming. David Park, what an interesting quote. How did you find this? And two minutes. How does this relate to our topic? Can't wait to hear this. David? I think the the meaning behind it was that no matter how good good times can be, you know, bad times usually aren't too far away. Everything has to kind of go in a cyclical manner. So in the context of what we're talking about, to me, it's kind of relevant because the semiconductor does go through boom times and it goes through some bust times. It's just kind of been the nature of the industry. And as, as good as things are, you kind of always need to be careful that you're not stepping too hard on the gas because uh, you can run out of road, so to speak. And I think one of the things that we're in right now is a very interesting time because mm-hmm. things were actually pretty good. But now, because of COVID, things are incredible. I just uh, read the stat yesterday that the industry grew 27 percent last year uh the semiconductor industry which is just an astounding number and the, everything is uh all hands on deck full speed ahead uh people are adding capacity around the world uh in the u.s as as people know there is a, a desire to start onshoring semiconductor manufacturing capacity again uh for people who watch the state of the union address i think it was last week uh the ceo of intel uh pat gelsinger was there and talking about he was investing uh, $20 billion in Ohio to build some additional state-of-the-art manufacturing and could invest up to $100 billion. So, you know, really amazing times for the semiconductor industry, and we hope it continues for a long time, but got to be careful because at some point in time, it it does kind of go through ebbs and flows, and you never know when winter is going to be coming for the semiconductor industry, despite how great things are right now. 
Very well put. And they're certainly putting their money where the need is, aren't they? That's an impressive investment. Thank you so much. Fascinating quote, David. We appreciate it. Jeff Howell has sent us a quote from a Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler. I promise not to sing because I'll ruin the show. I didn't. The Gambler, 1978. Interestingly enough, the song was recorded by a whole bunch of people before Kenny Rogers got his hands on it. It was recorded by Bobby Bear. It was recorded by Don Schlitz, who wrote the song in 1976 when he was just 23 years old. It was recorded by um, Johnny Cash, put it on his album Gone Girl, and then it made a hit when Kenny Rogers sang the song, number one country hit, and the pop charts when songs rarely crossed over from country to pop, and he did it. The title track from his album, The Gambler. Lots of awards there. So the line is, I promise I won't sing, Jeff, again. Can't, never count your money when you're sitting at the table. Jeff, wow, we haven't had a Kenny Rogers song, I don't think, on any of my shows. So you get that award. Talk to me. What does this have to do with semiconductors? Yeah. Go ahead. The, the late, great Kenny Rogers. So, yeah, this is one where, you know, when I harken back to my days early in the career, my career with the semiconductor industry, you just really never knew what was going to happen and you can't count on it and you don't know what's going to happen um, in terms of the yields that come out of the fabs and uh, coupled with that you don't know exactly what the demand's going to look like so couple that with the fact that the investment as david park was mentioning is extremely high when you're starting up new capacity and fabs so you have to keep your eye on the ball and you just don't know exactly what's going to happen so the intent focus that's required um, to marry up supply with demand and making sure that your investments are right. Very, very important. Thank you very much. Some wor- some cautious words to business investors, right? Never count your money when you're sitting at the table. I was going to say, look at the stock market right now. Don't count what's on paper. <gasps> Everybody, I, I heard I heard the audible sigh. I don't look anymore. It's like, what? Okay, yes. Okay, let's move on. Kim and Michaels has sent us a quote from, it, this is actually number 11 on the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes list. Captain... The Prison Ward, played by Struther Martin Jr. in Cool Hand Luke, 1967 American prison drama film. And here's the quote. What we've got here is failure to communicate. What a classic line. Kimmon, talk to us. Great movie quote. And a great movie as well. Well, everyone wants to solve our supply chain challenges. We want to make it more efficient. We want to improve the time to volume. Well, to do that, it's not any one supplier on that supply chain. It's the coordination across the suppliers which are going to solve it. The challenge, though, is different companies and the ability to share information and help solve problems in a coordinated way is a challenge. We're all trying to solve now. Thank you very much. Absolutely appreciate that. And let's go to Dave Dunn's quote. This is a doozy. It's stated by the Black Knight, played by John Cleese, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And let me set the scene here. King Arthur, played by Graham Chapman, accompanied by his trusty squire, Patsy, played by Terry Gilliam, is traveling through a forest when he enters a clearing and observes a fight taking place between a Black Knight, Cleese, and a Green One, also played by Gilliam, by a bridge over a stream. The Black Knight defeats the Green One by throwing the sword straight through the... Eye slit of the Green Knight's great helm. 
and Arthur offers him a place at the court of the round table, but the Black Knight stands hill, holds up his sword, stands still, and declares, none shall pass. King Arthur, conciliatory, asserts his right to cross, but the Black Knight says, Arthur will die. Reluctantly, King Arthur fights the Black Knight, and after a short battle, the knight's left arm is severed. The knight insists, and here's the quote, tis but a scratch, <laughs> and fights on. So the quote is, Dave, I hope you don't mind, I went through the scene. But no, that's perfect. That's perfect setup. I, I, had to, I had to set up. So, Dave, what does this have to do with our topic? So, so as as I as I I, I kind of look at the situation around semiconductors, you know, I mean, it's 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 really started. It's been going on for a while, right? There have been issues, and and we offshored a bunch of stuff, and now we're looking. And there's there's been uh there, there's been all these different occurrences that have severed the supply chain have 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 caused troubles and you know we're having troubles getting products out the door um and 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 i thought of that because you know i I mean the pandemic was one right that was his left arm but then there are shortages there are fab there are fabrication issues you know there's all these different different um angles on why this is occurring and I think a lot of companies started just by thinking, okay, it's a pandemic issue and it's going to be over. And they didn't plan. And so I, I, I kind of look at that as the standpoint of, you know, this is going to, things are going to keep happening. There's always change in the world. Lost one arm, lost one leg. You know, there's going to be the supply chain is going to be cut in, in in different ways over the years. And we've really got to do a better job of acknowledging it and not going ah, to scratch. <laughs> Thank you. And you know what I'm thinking of? The famous line from The Princess Bride when Wallace Shawn's oh. character says, inconceivable. I don't think he knows what that word means. Inconceivable. I don't know why that brought it to mind. So we've had our fun, gentlemen. Now let's settle down into our topic. I'm going to pick, I picked statement number one from David Park. David, you sent me an entire a novel on this one, and I appreciate, I love the detail, but I'm just going to read the first, oh, this looks like one long sentence here, and ask you to unpack it, David Park. Take your time. Two to three minutes is great. Then we'll go around the table. So I want all of you, please, Jeff and Kim and Dave Dunn to sit at the edge of your chair because you have to pay attention to what David Park says. And I'm going to ask each of you, first Jeff, then Kim, and then Dave done agree or disagree with david park and david told me it's okay if you disagree but just be very nice okay i have that that permission all right this is how the show works so david park told me the following the semiconductor supply chain has been dramatically transformed over the past two decades changing from dozens of companies with advanced manufacturing prowess to only a handful of companies continuing to chase the leading edge with much of that capacity centralized in asia with fabulous semiconductor companies around the globe dependent on foundries to manufacture their devices. That was a mouthful. David Park, unpack, please. Go ahead. So, uh, not to uh, put too fine a point on what's happening globally right now, but we see uh, the terrible conflict happening between Russia and Ukraine and the impact it has on oil, which unfortunately has been the genesis of a lot of conflicts uh, uh, for the past century. And now semiconductor devices are in a sense, becoming almost the new oil because we're, we as a civilization have become so heavily dependent upon electronic devices in, in many shapes or form. Um, 
smartphones being one of them. Uh, the one thing that I think is kind of crazy is, you know, when my, my smartphone tells me how many hours I've spent on it a day over the last week, it's like, I don't spend that much time doing anything um, outside of work, <laughs> mind you. But I mean, it's, I, you know, it's like, wow, I spent that many hours on my smartphone. It's like, that's crazy. Um, but we're becoming incredibly dependent upon them. Our cars are dependent upon them. A lot of appliances in our home and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I mean, we've become a very globalized society, but in terms of semiconductor manufacturing, an outsized amount of those devices are coming from Asia. And without trying to uh, put too fine a point on it, depending that Asia is in the ring of fire, which means it has the highest volcanic activity on the planet. Uh, For those of you that remember, we saw what happened when we had the Fukushima quake in Japan a little about a decade ago. And there were some key resources that came out of Japan that were crippling to some aspects of the semiconductor industry at the time. And the challenge that I think we have overall to manage now is how, now that we've really made semiconductors a very mainstream product, really just like wheat, coal, and oil, how do we make sure that there is enough of a supply, a consistent supply, a secure supply available around the world, depending on what may happen uh, from natural disasters or geopolitical conflicts? And I think that's a, a big challenge. And for the United States, I think we're starting to see that um, by the, there's a, I can't remember the name of the act, but there's a, uh, an act that the president's trying to push forward to basically reinvest in ship manufacturing in the United States, which I think is a, it's a good thing just for stability of supply. Thank you very much. I consider that a good way to level set this main part of our discussion. So thank you, David. Let's go around the table and see who has what to say. Mr. Howell, Jeff, join us. Agree or disagree? Take about two minutes. Go ahead. I both agree and slightly disagree with one of the statements in there. So Ooh, good. See. But um, no, he's right. It's, it's like the semiconductors. I mean, we all know that it's just ubiquitous part of our standard lives and all that. And whether it's kids' books or appliances, like my wife's trying to remodel the kitchen and still can't get a, an oven after ordering it six months ago because there's so many computer chips in it. So there's definitely a lot that we depend on. The part that I would slightly disagree with, I think the earlier statement was the industry is consolidating down into just a handful of companies doing the really high-end stuff. What we found is it's, it's also the low-end chips because everything is so ubiquitous, but not everything uses a really high-end chip with super high um, technology. They're, the low-end chips are actually going up in price. And the, the really low-end, you know, what we call like popcorn parts are up 30% just in the last year. So that means that all the consumer electronics that still depend on that stuff, the low-end stuff that's actually driving up the cost. Interesting. Let- we're getting feedback on somebody's mic. Let's go around the table and get more comments before David comes back. And David, I'll give you a chance to remark back. Kim and Michael's thoughts on what David Park shared and or what Jeff said. Go ahead, Kim. I think I'll agree with both of them. I'm in an agreeable mood today. (laughs) And and Jeff is right. Everyone focuses on leading edge semiconductor investment, but a lot of the challenges we have today are an older technology, the 200 millimeter fabs. You can't build them. There's not much equipment. So really the challenge today is adding flexibility, adding second sources, bringing up new capacity. Uh, It's not a 
problem that's going to be solved just with money. Although governments across the world are starting to invest, it's going to take years for that capacity to come online and have an impact. Thank you very much. Dave Dunn, join us. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I, I think I, I think it's amazing just over the semiconductor industry in general, uh, just in my lifetime, how how it's increased and, and what it's changed in in our world. And, uh, you know, and, and I agree with Kim and that, the, you know, to, to build a plant is not an overnight thing. It's going to take a couple of years. So, you know, I think I think companies need to understand and, and, and need to focus on how do we get through this? Um, and, 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 you know, how do we, how do we keep our planning and how do we keep moving forward when it's going to take a couple of years? So, and, and, and billions of dollars. <laughs> and billions of dollars. David Park, good conversation started. Would you like to comment back to no, your I, colleagues? I, I think, I think uh, Jeff brought up a really good point that uh, your chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And while there are very, very important links that uh, we've got an insatiable appetite for, for faster smartphones and more intelligent cars, uh, Jeff brought up a great point that the jelly bean parts, um, it's your weak link. If you can't get a power management IC uh, in your device, it doesn't matter that everything else works, the chip still won't work without that. So there, there is absolutely a, a concern for the jelly bean parts as well. So I think that was a great point for him to bring up. Thank you. So I think we're at the movies because we're talking about popcorn and jelly beans. So I'm just keeping keeping track of all the references here. David, you want to say something? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's funny. I, I think well, I'm food. It's too early in the morning. I, I listen. I listen. Jeff Howell, you're up next. Thank you, David Park. Great, great conversation started. Appreciate that. Jeff Howell, I'm looking at statement number two. This is interesting, a little provocative. You say the process of costing. That's what we're talking about today semiconductor chips is about as exciting as watching paint dry it's not flashy or even newsworthy like other aspects of the industry yet it is vital to make sure companies are making the right decisions this is a loaded statement mr howell go ahead you're up talk to me yeah so the thinking here is like i said it's not newsworthy this whole topic of uh costing semiconductors you know, it's not something you see like a lot of the, the poster children of, of current, like, you know, what would I say about like, you know, sustainability is getting a lot of attention in the news, but the, the companies really know how much their chips cost. And there's so many different inputs that go into this. And the, and the typical process is just do a lump sum analysis to say, well, for this month, if I take all my costs, I can bury it in, average it across our chips, and we can get a, a general idea of what it costs, but is that really what it costs? If the yields go up, conceivably the costs go down, and if the costs go down for the chip, maybe we'll make other business decisions about maybe reducing our prices to get more market share, as just an example. So, you know, understanding the real costs, like for example, how long does it take to test a device? Does device A take more time than device B? You know, what, what decisions would we make around test engineering resources to deploy to product A versus product B? So this is a very um, complex topic. We found that every semiconductor company that we work with at SAP is challenged by their, their process to, to handle costs accurately in a more very real-time fashion. And nobody does it really well. And this is something that we think there's a big opportunity to look into and fix. Thank you very much. Let's go. 
Let's go around the table. Uh, Kimmon, you're sitting next to Jeff Howell at this point in time. Go ahead. What do you think? Well, it's, it's an interesting point. You know, costing, of course, always affects your your uh, profitability. But today, with the variabilities and the uncertainty and the fluctuations in the market, costing products is probably more like being a commodities trader in Chicago. You're making bets. You're trying to decide where the market's going. I think the complicating factor is other than just predicting supply, you can affect it, as Jeff said. You look at where you put different parts, how you uh, you know, test or put cost and test. So you can affect both the numerator and de- denominator, if you will, but it's becoming more and more challenging and probably takes more approaches or more analytic approaches going forward to get it right. Uh, you can make a lot of money, but you could lose money for your company on a long-term contract as well. Don't count your money while you're sitting at the table. <laughs> David Dunn. See how those quotes come in handy during the show? David Dunn, Dave, talk to us. Agree or disagree? Uh, I, I agree. And and I think, um, you know, there there's so many challenges. And um, but but, I, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of of. Well, I guess just just the overall standpoint of, you know, how how again, how this supply chain is going to work and how do we how do we pull it together and how do we contribute to that? And and and, um, you know, that's kind of forefront of my mind working working with Jeff uh, as I have been for the past handful, you know, uh, six, eight months. You know, I've learned a lot about the semiconductor industry and um it's just uh, it, it, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing process, and uh, I just think um, you know that we we we've got some challenges still ahead, but we've just got to keep moving forward, right? Absolutely do. Question is moving forward with what device that's powered by what semiconductor yeah. chip, whether it's there or not. David Park, join us. Agree or disagree? Uh, I agree, and I'd like to add a little bit more context to to what Jeff said from our perspective. Um, product costing is is obviously very important, not just for semiconductors, but any business. If, if you're not profitable, you're not a business for very long because you're going to be gone. Um, but when it comes to the product costing, I think certain industries like semiconductor uh, have really pushed the ed- leading edge on what it means to understand product costing. And I, I believe relative to a lot of other industries, they've already picked a lot of the low-hanging fruit, so it's become more challenging to either get more accurate or more efficient relative to your product costing. And one of the things that, you know, we're talking about in terms of improving yield in the, for semiconductors, I think, and Kim had mentioned this earlier, you know, people have data silos inside of their organization. And historically, for lack of a better word, they're almost kind of like little fiefdoms across the entire semiconductor product lifecycle. And everyone optimizes within their four walls. Even if you're the same company, you've got uh, design, you've got manufacturing, you've got tests, and you've got assembly. And I think one of the things that's going to be really important in terms of uh, getting to that next level of cost efficiency yield, um, more higher product yield, is to break down those data silos and, and get away from optimizing local minima into optimizing the overall maxima, which is the overall semiconductor product life cycle. So looking across data silos, looking at whether what other organizations have in terms of data that can be fed forward or backward through the supply chain to help you make a better decision. Uh, but historically that data hasn't been available and it's why I think we're working with SAP to actually break down some of those data silos and make 
uh, data visible to other parts of the organization so they can make more informed decisions. And, and Bonnie, if I could yes. build on that just a little bit, you know, yep. I, what Jeff was what, what Jeff was heading towards too is, you know, ABC costing, right? Very, very few companies can do ABC costing, which is I direct all the dollars to that exact part, right? It's what Jeff was talking about with allocations. So you have a plant, you have assets and you spread that and you have operators and you have people and you spread that out across all your products and give them basically a surcharge. Um, but it's very, very difficult to, to, to do ABC costing, but I think, you know, that's how you determine real profitability. Thank you. And that's part of what we're talking about today. Jeff Howell, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists about your topic? Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's a it is a newsworthy topic. But uh, like I said, we don't really um, put it on the news because it's just not that exciting. But in terms of the business, though, it's a very important, like I said, vital topic. And um, we've got a lot of different costs um, going up. And I, th I think um, David Dunn's background is in chemicals and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about that. But I suspect with the unfortunate events in the Ukraine and Eastern Europe, we may actually see costs go up again because of the, yes. the gases that are used in the, um, in the production of semiconductor equipment, or excuse me, chips. So I think this is going to be um, an increasing importance for a lot of semiconductor <laughs> companies. Thank you very much. Good topic. Let's move on. Kim and Michaels, I'm looking at statement number three. Let's take a deep dive into some of the technology. Everybody wants to hear about this. Machine learning is providing dramatic advances in production efficiency across many industries for semiconductor chips. The biggest challenge is not the ML, machine learning algorithms, or the quantity of the data, but the quality of the data. I'm going to stop there. Kim and talk to us, please. Sure. You know, about a decade or more ago, Artificial intelligence, machine learning seemed to me more buzzword than than really reaction or reality. But recently, dramatic improvements really across industries. And if you look at semiconductor on the advanced technologies, we're literally down to atomic scale. So using algorithms to ferret out and understand relationships in the data is becoming more and more important. You can't do it by hand. But everyone tends to focus a lot of times on the algorithm. What new machine learning algorithm? But as we've all learned at different parts of our life, you know, the phrase garbage in, garbage out. It's having the right data to feed your algorithms that give you the cause and effect or the insight into your issues that really matter. In our industry, what's that mean? Well, it means having better sensors or more electrical characterization in the fab, data that you didn't need 20 years ago to see these effects. It may mean sharing information, for example, between a foundry and the equipment manufacturer. So the equipment manufacturer can use machine learning on the tool to control it better. So it's a combination of not just getting more data, but looking at what's required on these advanced processes, getting more electrical data, getting more sensor data on the inputs that matter, as opposed to just collecting more data. And I think this is a transition the industry is going through now. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table and get some feedback here. Two minutes each, because I want to make sure we get one of Dave Dunn's topics coming up before we're, we got about 16 minutes left. Dave Dunn, you're sitting next to Kim in at this round. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, it, it's um, just just the 
the availability and, you know, I, I think Kimmon was mentioning, um, you know, just how this all, how this all plays together. And, um, I, I just, you know, I think it's, I think it's an interesting point of view. I agree with him. I think there is, uh, you know, I, I think there is, um, you know, a, a surges that are going to occur. Um, and, and I, you know, again, thinking about the supply chain and, and what PDF does and uh, all the costing we've talked about, I think, you know, we're, we're just going to have to adapt and, and, and keep rolling with the rolling with the changes. Thank you very much. That's the goal. Uh, David Park, you're next to Mr. Dunn at this point. What do you say about the topic that Kimmon introduced? Nope, uh, totally agree. And to, to build on what Kimmon said, I think it's not just having more data, it's having the right data, but it's also having the right data that's ready to use. So uh, a very common uh, statistic in our uh, industry is that 80% of the effort in any data analytics project is just getting the data ready to analyze. So really when you think about the amount of time you have and, and the pressures to get things right, you spend four-fifths of your time just cleaning up the data, collecting it in a way that you can do stuff, and then only one-fifth of your time is actually spent doing the analytics. And I think one of the things that's really important is that you have to have a plan for how you're going to use the data. It can't be, let me just grab everything, collect it, and then I'll figure out how to use it later. You really need a plan up front for how to use it. And I think that's one of the things that also we're doing with a lot with SEP is getting the right data at the right time in the right context to people so they can make uh, decisions as opposed to spending their time collecting data, which is honestly, it's a non-value added task, right? You just want the data ready. And anyone who can make that data ready, it means they can take action more quickly, which means everything gets done sooner. Thank you very much. Jeff Howell, you're sitting next to Mr. Park. Go ahead, join us. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, this is one where I completely agree with everyone up to now. You know, there's that saying, more data beats clever algorithms, but better data beats more data. And as David Park was saying, it's 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 like if people are spending 80% of their time in what they call the pre-processing of the data before those clever algorithms can kick in, um, just imagine what we could do if we could get that data faster and it's a better quality um, earlier. So then we can even make better decisions. Okay, thank you very much. And Kim, and this was your topic. Anything you wanna say back to your co-panelists? Yeah, no, I think they raised great points. You know, there's a lot of talk today about data lakes, but just putting all your data in one location really doesn't solve the problem. It's how do you clean it, align it, make sure it's ready. Semiconductor is very interesting in it. We always had a lot of data, but the data was never meant to work together. So it presents a challenge for people to look across groups and figure things out. Thank you very much. And let's move on to our final topic. I know we have time for this. David Dunn has been so patient and we're going to get to some discussion about chemicals. So here's what David told me before the show, Dave for today. He says, you may ask, how is the chemical industry associated with the semiconductor manufacturing? Okay. The National Center for Biotech Information conducted a study in 2018 in conjunction with a company with a large market share of the worldwide semiconductor industry. Within that company, they studied two plants. What they found, there were 400,000 
30 different chemicals used in the production plants, making up 12.6 tons of chemicals that span gases, solids, and liquids. I'm going to stop there. Very interesting. Dave Dunn, take about three minutes, and then we'll go around the table. You're up. Okay. Yeah. I, I you know, as as I as I researched and and, and get into the this high tech world, I, I was just amazed at the number of products, the number of chemicals that, and again, gases, liquids, solids, silicon, right? Um, it's, it's just amazing the number of products. And it's hard. Uh, when they did that study, they had a lot of challenges because there's a lot of trade secrets, right? So they, they couldn't get the actual chemical compositions. However, a huge, a huge majority of those products are carcinogenic or are hazardous. And so on the chemical side, when you're dealing in a chemical plant, right, we've, we've got to do all kinds of filings and we have to, you know, there's all kinds of regulatory stuff that has to, has to happen. Well, you know, these companies are having to do the same thing because they've got to do reporting. They've got to do, uh, you know, tracking of, of, of those chemicals. And uh, so there's, there, you know, as it, as it, as it goes through, there's, there's a lot of similarities. And uh, I, 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 I found that amazing. <laughs> 430 chemicals. That's Amazing and maybe scary. And somebody's got to, you're right. Somebody's <laughs> got to keep track of that. And, and what is the impact of each chemical? What is the role? But what are the, what's the plus and what's the minus on that? Thank you, David. Right. And I appreciate that. Let's go around the table. David Park, what do you think? So uh, absolutely. There's a ton of chemicals used in the uh, semiconductor manufacturing process. And I think one of the things that, that actually ties back to yield and quality, it's not just the manufacturing process itself that determines uh, the quality or yield of the devices that are manufactured. It is a result of the incoming material. And the incoming material isn't just the silicon that's on the base part of the wafer. It, it has to do with the chemicals themselves. If the chemicals, if one batch of chemicals is different from, significantly different from another batch of chemicals, it can actually affect the quality and yield of the semiconductors in a lot, which is a, a bunch of wafers that are stacked together in a, in a tray that kind of move around the manufacturing facility. So the ability to also keep track of incoming material, not just that goes into this device itself, but goes into the chambers of the equipment that process those devices. It's important to keep track of that as well, because if you see variance in the output at the back end, you need to be able to trace back and say, hey, what was different? Why was this lot better or worse uh, than a prior lot of product? And being able to go back and identify all the source materials down to even the chemicals that are used for uh, depositioning and things like that on the, on the wafers, it's important because then you're able to go back to your suppliers and say, hey, we need to be more careful about this. Um, we need to have more rigorous quality control. And it, it just goes back to all of the free radicals that are going running around in semiconductor manufacturing that there there is no detail too small. Uh, back to Jeff's comment from an earlier thing is you're only as strong as your weakest link. If you have some very highly variable chemicals being used in critical parts of your manufacturing process, it can lead to high variability in terms of your yield and quality. And you think I've got a great process, but you've got bad incoming material. So very, very important. Thank you very much. Jeff Howell, you're next. Thoughts, please? Yeah, there's really two thoughts that come to mind as David was talking. It's really um, 
this whole issue of chemicals that drives um, not just uh, the yield, but also the sustainability aspects of this. And as Dave Dunn was explaining, these chemicals are carcinogenic. And the, the, what's going to happen if you really think about all the investments that are making, that are being made to reshore fab capacity in Europe and North America, well, where there's going to be a lot of strict regulations around um, the types of chemicals that are used and the reporting of what chemicals are used and at what volumes in this. And so what's interesting in Europe, they're, they're starting the, the OEM Open Standards Network called Capena X, which is driven the non-proprietary network for the automotive OEMs with all of their suppliers to not just exchange logistics information like when am I going to get my stuff to make the car, but also what, what's your CO2 uh, footprint at your company? Um, what kind of chemicals were used and at what volume to make the products that are going to go into our car? So a lot of that is going to become um, more um, regulatory. There's going to be more regulations on on the reporting of these chemicals that are going to be used, not less, especially when we look at all the reshoring that's going to happen. Thank you very much. And Kimmen, Kimmen Michaels, thoughts, please. Yeah, it's amazing the number of chemicals. And you can think, look at all those potential pinch points on your supply chain. So companies will look at, can you qualify second sources? If you do, what's the impact on your yield and your costing? How do you figure that all out? The best trade-off. If you have a problem, making a semiconductor wafer can take you know four months or more. If you have a bad chemical, how do you catch that quickly? So you don't have a third of your year you're potentially throwing away uh, because of a contaminated chemical or bad yield because of it. So the challenges reach back uh, definitely then into the raw materials and managing that across both your costing and your and your production prediction is becoming more and more important. Thank you very much. Dave Dunn, this was your topic. Any quick comments back? Yeah. I have one more topic I'm going to sneak in, so go ahead. You okay, yeah. To, uh, I think I, I think great discussion. David brought up uh, a couple good points. You know, the, the raw materials, I mean, it's the same in the chemical industry, right? If you, if you have poor raw materials, you're going to have challenges. Used to deal with it all the time when I was a process engineer. We, you know, but there's business decisions to be made. If I buy a low grade FOS acid, I'm going to have a finished product that's got to be filtered. If I buy higher grade, then I don't have to filter it. What's what's the trade-off? What's, you know, what's the cost structure? So, I, I mean, I think that's a very, very valid point and it, it, it makes a difference. And, 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 you know, you've got to, you've, you've got to have your, you know, your boundaries and your, your uh, KPIs on your raw materials and, and decide what those challenges, how much you're willing to tolerate. But like Kim had said, you go four months, oh, you know, that's a long time. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's extremely important. Watching paint dry. Thank you very much. I want to <laughs> I want to sneak in one quick topic here. We just have time, I think, for David Park to talk about this. But if anybody wants to comment, raise your hand. Dave, I'm looking at statement number two, and this is important. You say there is a misconception that running a factory running at 100% capacity is always a good thing. Of course, it's always great to have an expensive capital expense like a factory running at full capacity. But a trickier challenge is to have that factory running as efficiently as possible. So why don't you burst that myth for us david park and then anybody else wants to comment just just a quick 10 seconds around go ahead david yeah well, it just goes back around to the 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 original topic of the whole uh podcast or the radio show was about improving yield 
and there is there's the concept of working harder or working smarter and i think the idea in the factory is that there there is uh, a lot of emphasis on what's called OEE, operating equipment efficiency, uh, to make sure you know you really are utilizing this really expensive equipment, but maybe a little bit less effort uh, because of the challenges involved uh, have been spent on, do I have the most efficient process to use the equipment that I have? Um, and one of the things that we're dealing with in this chip shortage is a lack of capacity. Um, and as we've all discussed earlier in one of the questions, is it takes years to build up these new factories. So new capacity has a very long tail. It's going to take a long time for it to come online. The question is, with your existing capacity, is it possible to squeeze an additional 10 or 15 percent product out the door, not by working more shifts, because everything's probably working 24-7 across the board anyways, but can you be more efficient without sacrificing quality, without sacrificing reliability, can you work smarter? So just one quick example uh, comes into testing. You know, the whole purpose of testing is just to make sure you're shipping good product to customers and you're catching bad product that came out of the factory. But maybe perhaps you have a lot of redundant tests or unnecessary tests, tests that never fail. Um, someone put them in there maybe for a safety blanket, but it's like they never fail Why are you running the test. And can you squeeze some efficiency out of different parts of the process? I just used the example of test to say, hey, look, these tests don't make a difference in the result. I can stop running them or eliminate them, and I can effectively get more throughput. Same machine, same equipment, same operators, but I get, I'm able to test and verify some percentage more devices every day than I could do before, which in a small aspect will help alleviate the overall chip shortage, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Um, how do you deal with the chip shortage, improve efficiencies wherever and whenever you can? Thank you. So I, we've got jelly beans, popcorn, wafers, and we're one bite at a time. David Dunn, last comment. Yeah, Th- I, Ten I, seconds. I, Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, the, the one thing to keep in, in, in front is 100% is typically design capacity for any plant no matter what it is, you never run at 100%. So there was actually um, a study done and um, there was a company, uh, a, 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 a semiconductor company in the Philippines that did an efficiency program and changed their OEE from 68% to 87%. That's huge. I mean, that is a huge deal in manufacturing. So to Dave's point, I mean, you know, you're never going to get to 100%, but just to just to focus on those components where you can make changes and improve, it, it's 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 huge money. It's huge money. Thank you. I want to thank you all, and special thank you to Dave Dunn working with me on the abstract, setting up the topic, getting everybody involved. Jeff Howell as well. Shout out to Judy Kubis and Thomas Pohl who sponsor this series. And David is getting Dave Dunn is getting another episode during the year, so we'll look forward yep. to more with you. So delighted to meet our colleagues from PDF Solutions, David Park. Thank you, Kim and Michaels. Thank you, Jeff Dunn. What De- Jeff Howell. 
Paul, David Dunn, thank you very much. I'm getting all my people mixed up here. Shout out to Ryan Treasure and the Business Channel team at Voice America Radio. Ryan was our engineer today, and I have my closing call to action. And I don't know if any of you ever heard it before, but here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like David Park, just like Kim and Michaels, just like Jeff Howell, just like Dave Dunn. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Everybody wave bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.